What's up? Welcome back to another episode of the How to Vegan podcast. My name is Kristen. I'm so stoked that you're tuning in. I always say that, but it's genuinely because I'm so stoked you're tuning in. Today's episode is gonna be a really good one, really in-depth dive into honey. I have a series called What's the Deal With? I've already done an episode on palm oil, and I also did an episode on eggs. So if you're interested in learning more about those things, then check out the rest of the episodes in this series. I kind of tried to dive into some more controversial or issues that are not so black and white, a lot of gray areas in this series. So honey is another one of those. There's a lot of information out there about it. And I just wanted to share everything that I've learned with you guys so that you can have your own opinion on it after you listen to this episode. And I'm extra, extra excited today because today's episode is sponsored by Osea Malibu. Oh, they're so amazing. They are the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. I absolutely love their products. Like, I cannot say it enough how much I absolutely love their products. And just so you know, it's spelled O-S-E-A. I've had a couple people reach out because they did sponsor my last episode too. And a couple people reach out and want to know how that is spelled. And I will leave a link in the description box for you. But oh my God, you guys, their, their products are amazing. And I'll definitely be chatting more about them in a little bit. So stay tuned for a little friend discount code that I have for you. Totally worth it. Like I said, this stuff is just amazing. My skin has never been clearer. So stay tuned. I'll talk about that in just a little bit. So if you're not following the How to Vegan Podcast Instagram account, go do that. It's just at How to Vegan Podcast. And if you're listening to this episode and you're enjoying it, take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram account, on your stories, and tag How to Vegan Podcast. And you can also tag my personal account, which is Kristen.pound, and I'll totally share it on my Instagram because I love when you guys spread the word about the podcast. I really appreciate it. If this is your very first time tuning into the How to Vegan podcast, then go make sure you're subscribed or following the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. So whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, it's available in a lot of places, you guys. Just make sure you're subscribed or following. That is super helpful for the podcast. It gets more people to see it. And if you've ever just need a jumping off point and can't remember where to go to find the podcast, just head to my website, kristenpound.com and click on the podcast tab. You'll find everything you need there, or you can just head straight there by typing in kristenpound.com forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast for 100% free for you, then click on the Amazon link in the description or show notes. Anytime you shop on Amazon, use that link to get into your Amazon and they'll kick me back a small percentage of whatever you buy. Like I've said before, it's literally just pennies of what you buy and it's totally free for you. But every little bit helps this podcast. It helps me to be able to do more episodes. So I really appreciate those of you who use my Amazon link. Y'all are the best. Love you, love you, love you. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, then please head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to share the episode with any of your peeps who might be interested in this info that I've put together for you today. Like I always say, go ahead, share that vegan love. It feels good and the ripple effect is real. You might not think you're making a difference, but each time you let someone know about the podcast, they might let someone know about the podcast and it's just that ripple effect and it can really make some change. So share the podcast with anyone who you think might be interested. And before we get into the episode, I just wanted to let you guys know a little content warning, trigger warning. There will be the use of the word rape in this episode. I wanted to put that out there for those of you who might be triggered by that word. 
Alrighty, now let's get into today's topic. What's the deal with honey? So I think a good place to start would be with the definition of vegan and veganism, just so that we're all on the same page. For those of you who might not be fully aware, I think this is just a good time to kind of share that. So the definition of vegan is a person who does not eat or use animal products. And the definition of veganism is a way of living which seeks to exclude as far as possible and practical all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose. So in dietary terms, it refers to the practice of excluding all animal products, including meat, fish, poultry, eggs, animal milks, honey, and their derivatives. The word vegan extends to more than just diet, though. Vegans don't wear leather, fur, wool, or silk, and are against zoos, circuses, rodeos, animal testing, and any other industry that exploits or abuses animals. So by definition alone, honey is not vegan. And that's the episode for you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. (laughs) Just kidding. So yeah, by definition alone, honey is not vegan. But some people disagree, including some vegans, and they believe that avoiding ingredients like honey can actually harm the vegan movement by appearing too rigid or difficult or too dogmatic. So yeah, honey is a tough issue for some people, and it will probably always be a contentious issue within veganism. As with everything, there are many varying opinions and arguments for either side. So in this episode, we're going to dive real deep into the controversy surrounding honey And at the end of the episode, I'll let you know what I personally think about honey. And just remember, this podcast is here to educate you and to provide you with as much non-biased information as possible so that you can make decisions that feel good for you. But I'll always include my opinion because I know y'all bitches are curious. (laughs) So what is honey? Let me give you some honey facts here for those of you who aren't completely aware. Like, honestly, I was before doing research for this episode, and I've talked to a couple of other vegans who are like, oh my god, I'm so excited you're doing an episode about honey because I don't know enough about it. And people ask me questions about it, and I don't know what to say. So, I was in the same boat. I, you know, I knew a little bit, but I didn't know enough. And so, doing research for this episode was really eye-opening. And um, some facts about honey. What is honey? Well, honey is the energy source of bees. Without it, they would starve. It takes at least eight bees their entire lifetime to produce one teaspoon of honey. Eight bees their entire lifetime to produce just a teaspoon of honey. That was a mind-blowing fact for me. I thought they were just producing gallons at a time. Not at a time, but you know what I mean. And each bee produces just a twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in its lifetime, which is significantly less than most people, including me, would assume. Honey is produced by bees who gather nectar from flowers, partially digest it, and then regurgitate it once they're back in their hives. They actually regurgitate it up back and forth, back and forth with other bees until the nectar is turned into honey. And each drop of nectar will be regurgitated somewhere around 50 times. So honey is essentially bee vomit or bee barf which I think sounds funnier than bee vomit. Then worker bees seal the honey into beeswax honeycomb. And we'll talk more about beeswax later. Much of it for the purpose of storing food to enable the hive to survive through the winter. Honey is also necessary to keep the little bee babies alive. It's their food. Honey is made by bees for bees. There's no other reason they make it. And bees have to work super hard to produce honey. They have to find and collect the nectar, regurgitate it, then they dehydrate it by fanning it with their wings to concentrate and preserve it, and then they have to store the honey within the hive. And they need nectar from about 5 million flowers to produce just one pound of honey. 
5 million flowers to produce just one pound of honey, and this honey is needed to feed the hive over winter months. The honeybee will visit up to 1,500 flowers in order to collect enough nectar to fill its honey stomach, which is a second separate stomach in which enzymes begin to break down the nectar into honey. So they'll go around to 1,500 flowers in order to fill its little honey stomach up so they can go back to the hive, barf it up a bunch, share it with the other bees, and then it turns into honey, which they then store in the little beeswax honeycomb. So now that we know what honey is, let's kind of tackle the next topic, our bees animals? The short answer is yes, insects are animals and bees are insects, so therefore bees are animals. And treating this kind of animal like they are quote-unquote less than the other animals is just another form of speciesism. And if you don't know what speciesism is, it's the assumption of human superiority which leads to the exploitation of animals. And speciesism is exactly what's happening every single day when humans abuse, torture, and murder innocent beings like cows, pigs, chickens, fish, who just want to live their lives like we do. And just why is one animal superior to the other? I don't really know, but a lot of people have this view on animals that humans are superior to all other animals. This kind of just reminds me, I, I saw a quote the other day on Instagram that said, no intelligent species would destroy their own environment. I think I actually reposted it on my Instagram story. And it got me thinking that humans are probably, in the grand scheme of things, less superior than other animals who actually live in harmony and would never destroy their environment, at least not on purpose. And on top of all of that, bees are hella smart. And one example of how smart bees are is when they get back from foraging for food, they communicate with their hive mates by doing intricate little dance-like moves that lets them know where to find the food source. They kind of do like a little booty shake in action. And depending on how fast they shake their little booty and what direction they're facing, the other bees in the hive can tell where the food source is and how far away it is as well. So the other bees can just fly right there. They're super smart animals. And sometimes when animals, especially insects, are so small and, you know, a lot of people just kill spiders or kill bees or ants, but it's important to know that these insects are, in fact, animals. And the next question would be, but do bees feel pain? And it's, it's a much more complex issue than, well, insects are animals, so they feel pain. Don't eat them. Honestly, to be completely honest, we don't know for sure if bees feel pain. And something that's really helpful to understand before we talk about this further is the concept of nociceptive pain versus neuropathic pain. So nociceptive pain occurs when something called nociceptors in the body detect negative stimuli that have the potential to cause harm to the body. And neuropathic pain is caused by actual damage to the neurons that are involved in the pain signaling pathways. So an organism can have an instant response to a negative stimuli without actually experiencing pain. So you know when you accidentally put your hand on like a hot stove and you don't realize it's hot and you pull your hand away really quickly? You didn't consciously move your hand away. It was just like a reflex type reaction. That is nociception. So you didn't actually feel the pain, but that negative stimuli made you pull your hand away. So even though insects might seem like they're experiencing pain when they experience negative stimuli, we're just not sure if they actually do feel pain. But it does seem like erring on the side of compassion is the right way to go just in case they do feel pain. Because if we're wrong in thinking that they don't feel pain and we find out that they do feel pain, then that's a lot of unnecessary suffering that we've caused for really no reason. It's, it's just a much more complicated and convoluted 
issue than like not drinking milk or not eating meat. That's really obvious that those animals are experiencing pain. Like we can tell by their screams and the look on their face. And it's just, we can tell they're experiencing pain, just like your dog or your cat experiences pain. It's obvious. But with bees and other insects, we just don't know. We're just not 100% sure if they feel pain or not. Which is another reason that some vegans decide to consume honey because they believe that bees don't feel pain. But like I said, if they happen to do feel pain, then how shitty would that be if we're just like harming these bees? You know, be kind of shitty. Okay, so let's get into some conventional honey farming, aka factory farming practices, because this is kind of where I was shocked. I didn't know exactly what went on. I didn't know how the honey was, you know, taken from the hive. And I think this is really important for you guys to know and then to make your own decision. If you're cool with this shit and you don't feel like you want to stop eating honey, then then that's totally up to you. But I want to let you know what actually happens during these factory farming practices. So just a reminder, as with all other factory farming practices, the aim of these factory farms is to harvest the most amount of honey possible, and many beekeepers take inhumane steps to ensure their own personal safety, aka to not get stung, and to reach honey production quotas. Because just like the factory farming of cows and chickens and pigs and fish, oh, so sad, it breaks my heart to think about, but just like all of that, it's all about the money. People will do the craziest shit for money, you guys. Like, to me, all that seems crazy, but people will do the weirdest shit for money and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them what what they're doing. They're just focused on the money. And if people will buy this shit, then they're going to keep making it. Okay, so what are these practices I'm talking about? Let's get into it. Well, factory farmed bees, unlike wild bees, are completely denied their instinctual desire to seek out nearby flowers and plants to pollinate. Bees are usually kept in artificial hives. Instead of being wild in nature, they're kept in artificial hives that are trucked around the country on trips that can take days and days. During these trips, the bees endure a ton of noise, vibrations, and excessive heat or cold, and they have very poor, if not zero, ventilation. And since bees won't urinate or defecate in their hives, they are forced, while trapped inside these boxes, to quote-unquote hold it. Many bees, and sometimes entire colonies, die from holding it. And even though bees tend to prefer the nectar of certain flowers or plants, it's a common honey industry practice to just drop them off in fields or orchards containing just one plant, aka monoculture crops, which really leaves the bees no other option. They need to make food for themselves, so they're going to pollinate these plants so they can make honey. And when beekeepers drain hives to sell honey to humans, the hungry bees still need something to eat because that was their food. So they'll often give them like sugar water or high fructose corn syrup instead. This sugary water shit lacks the essential micronutrients of honey and the power to protect their immune system, causing bees to suffer from malnutrition which weakens already shrinking bee populations even further. This, coupled with exposure to the pesticides sprayed on whichever crop they're pollinating and something called varroa mites, they're super destructive little mites that bees get, which were accidentally introduced in the 1980s when bee geneticists tried to make bees more productive in honey. All of that stuff, pesticides, these varroa mites, it means that bees are facing a really rough future. And these diseases are then spread to the thousands of other pollinators we and other animals rely on 
disputing the common myth that honey production is good for the environment. And we're going to talk about the environmental effects here in a little bit. But the spread of disease, no matter what, is just not great. Beekeepers often respond to these disease outbreaks by just burning their hives, which just kills all of the bees inside. In addition, hives can be culled, C-U-L-L-E-D, which is the reduction of a wild animal population by selective slaughter, usually using cyanide gas or just straight up burning them. And this usually happens post-harvest, so after they harvest the honey, to keep costs down for the farmer. It's just cheaper than feeding the bees through the winter months, but they wouldn't need feeding if someone hadn't stolen their food. And when these hives are cold, it can be anywhere from 20,000 to 80,000 bees in one hive at a time. That's a shit ton of bees, you guys. Just burned. Like, we need more bees. Don't burn them. Don't gas them. We need them. They're important. And it's no question that honeybees are specifically bred to increase productivity. That's where those varroa mites were introduced in the 80s because you want to get the bees to produce as much honey as possible. So they're definitely specifically bred to increase productivity. And this selective breeding narrows the population gene pool. And again, it increases susceptibility to disease and large-scale die-offs. And FYI, if you didn't know, honeybees are already endangered, so this is not good. Another really shitty thing that happens in the factory farming of bees is that the queen bee can be artificially inseminated on a little, like, bee-sized version of the factory farm rape rack. And if you don't know what that is, it's awful. It's, it happens in the dairy industry. If you haven't listened to my episode about cheese, it's called What About Cheese? And you definitely should listen to that if you're not aware of what happens in the dairy industry, but essentially they kind of lock cows into this little apparatus and then artificially inseminate them while they can't move or anything like that so that they'll stay pregnant to produce milk. So similarly, bees are kind of put on this little mini-sized version of this rape rack and they are artificially inseminated with the semen often of a crushed male bee. And when I was doing research for this episode, I saw videos of both of these things happening, the crushing of the male bee, extracting the semen, and then this little queen bee on this little metal apparatus can't move and being injected, forcibly injected with the semen of the crushed male bee. It's really sad. It like really upset me to watch it. It's If you guys know me, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, anything with any animals getting hurt just tears my insides apart and just makes me want to cry all day. So it was really, it was really hard to watch that and I had no idea that happened. And then after the queen bee is artificially inseminated, she's usually sold online and just shipped through the mail. Once the beekeeper gets the queen bee in the mail, they'll usually hold her tightly enough not to kill her, but so that she can't get away. And they'll usually mark her with like an enamel marker or pen which is extremely toxic to the queen bee and it can cause dizziness, poor coordination, and damage to her vision and even her brain. And queen bees often have their wings clipped to prevent them from leaving the hive and produce a new colony elsewhere, which would decrease productivity and lessen profit. So they just like clip her wings so she can't fly away. Her worker bees will never desert her. So this is an effective way of making sure that the queen bee and her family have no choice but to make their honey in the space given to them by the humans who bought them. When beekeepers want to move the queen to a new colony, she's carried with her bodyguard bees, all of whom, if they actually survive transport, will be killed by bees in the new colony. When humans are ready to take their honey, Honeybees are forcibly subdued and intentionally made confused, usually by smoking them out, before the honey they made for themselves is taken from them and sold for profit for human use. 
The smoke makes bees think that their hive is on fire, and so they instinctively begin to respond as though it is, which involves eating as much honey as they can in order to prepare themselves to leave the hive. And when they're full of honey, they become lethargic and much less likely to sting. The smoke also affects a bee's sense of smell, which stops them from excreting a warning to their fellow bees that they're being invaded. And if the smoke temperature is too high, it can also melt the bee's wings. In the factory farming of bees, the risk of bee casualty and injury is super high because of human interference and from the bee's natural defense instincts, aka stinging, which makes them lose their stingers. So although the practices commonly used in the factory farming of bees are pretty damn awful, it's important to note that the production and harvesting of any crop animal or not, including all the produce you buy at the store, even if you're vegan, is going to involve harming insects, worms, and usually even small rodents. They use combines to get these vegetables, your produce up out of the ground, and there's no way to avoid what's living in the ground. So a lot of times, most of the, all the time, pretty much, insects, worms, little mice and her little babies. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to be 100% vegan. And I wanted to kind of talk about that. So it's not just, if you're vegan, you're 100% cruelty-free because that's not that's not the truth. And I don't want to make you guys think that if you're vegan, you're not harming any animals because it's just impossible not to. And there's just no way to avoid it. It's a bummer, but it's the truth. So I, I just wanted to bring that up because I wasn't aware of that for the longest time. I didn't even think about it. I was like, oh, I'm vegan. I'm not harming any animals when it's just not the truth. So these factory farming practices of bees are awful, but this happens kind of in every practice. It's just not on the large scale breeding these animals to be murdered and killed and tortured their whole lives. It's completely different. It's, it's an accidental byproduct of producing vegetables and we have to have vegetables to, to live a healthy life, especially if you're vegan. I mean, that's, that's what we eat. So I wanted to bring that up for those of you who might be wondering if it's possible to be 100% vegan and it's just it's just truly not unless you grow your own vegetables and you source everything yourself then totally but if you're buying produce at the grocery store that shit's going down just an FYI because that's that's something that people bring up to me well you're not vegan because when they get the vegetables out of the ground you're killing these animals and it's like well it's not intentional they're not breeding these animals to be killed it's a little bit different but but it's still a shitty side effect of any kind of farming so the next question is, well, don't we need honeybees to pollinate our crops? So isn't this factory farming crucial to our survival? I mean, we're producing more and more bees. Isn't this what we want? The answer to this is both yes and no. So let's dive a little bit deeper. Well, first of all, honeybees are not native to North America, which honestly came as a surprise to me. I just thought those are native to this area. They actually originated in Asia and they were spread to Europe and Africa hundreds of thousands of years ago. And they came to North America sometime in the 1600s during something historians call the Columbian Exchange. And I actually have my history degree and a teaching degree. So I actually did a whole unit when I was teaching on this Columbian Exchange. Not a huge fan of Columbus. Don't know if I need to say that or not. That's just the term that historians use. It's called the Columbian Exchange when things from the old world, aka Europe and that area, Asia, Africa, came over to the new world, the Americas, all that shit. So just kind of like a little way to remember it. Did you know that potatoes and tomatoes weren't in Europe or anywhere in the old world until the so-called Colombian exchange? No, Italy did not have their little delicious tomato sauce on pizza until then. And Ireland did not have potatoes until the same time as well. I remember being mind blown when I found this shit out. It's actually super interesting. So if you want to know more about what was like kind of transported and transferred um, during the Colombian exchange, 
just type that in and it's it's really interesting. So just wanted to toss that in there. But honeybees were not in this area until the 1600s when this happened. So how did our crops get pollinated before the arrival of honeybees? By the keystone pollinators. And the keystone pollinators are pollinators who are essential to the survival of an ecosystem. In North America, the indigenous pollinators are birds, butterflies, insects, native wild bees, and more. There's a significant negative impact on keystone pollinator populations from the introduction of these new honeybees through crowding and stealing of pollen and nectar that would otherwise be available to them. Wild pollinators are in decline across many parts of the world, and because of the downturn, managed honeybees or factory-farmed honeybees and bumblebees are frequently shipped to the U.S. to provide pollination services. But doing this poses dangerous risks to the wild bee population. Managed bees, or those bred into a factory farming type system, are spreading disease to wild bees. Even in cases when these managed bees do not have a disease, they still stress the shit out of these local wild bees, making them more susceptible to disease. Just like us, when we're stressed, when our bodies are stressed, we're way more susceptible to disease. Same thing in other animals. And to make matters even worse, many countries have inadequate or zero laws for this movement or transportation of bees. The globalized trade in bees has enabled almost free movement of diseases around the world. Okay, let's take a little break from this heavy-ass information right now and talk a little bit more about Osea, today's sponsor. Like I said before, you guys, their products are amazing. They have just made my skin look the best it has ever looked. I have struggled with blemishes around the time of my period and I just thought it was a thing. You know, I just kind of thought that that was my face. I get them on my chin. Nothing I do is helping it. Once I tried these products, man, you guys, life changer. So I have the Ocean Cleanser, the Blemish Balm, which is my favorite. It's like an amazing moisturizer. It smells so good. It feels so good on my face. Oh, if you get anything, I would suggest getting this Blemish Balm. And then I also have the Essential Corrective Complex, which Oh man, it's like a little roll-on liquid. So if you start to get a blemish, you can pop that on there and it'll help it not become so intense, which is, this has, I have noticed a huge difference. So if I start to get something that looks like it's gonna come to the surface, I'll pop that on and it's either makes it go away or it reduces the size of it overall. And to be honest, my biggest insecurity is probably these breakouts on my chin during the time of my period. And this has just been a lifesaver. I feel so much more confident. I don't have to wear makeup on my chin, which is like a cycle that in itself just creates more breakouts and blemishes on your face. So, oh, I'm I'm telling you, if you guys are interested in checking out a vegan, cruelty-free skincare line, it's all in glass bottles, so it's it's really eco-friendly. Everything has this amazing seaweed in it. I think everything does. This kind of their like their, their amazing kind of secret is this seaweed that is ethically sourced from Patagonia and it's a women-owned business, women-driven, family-driven. I'm telling you guys, if you're interested in checking out an amazing vegan cruelty-free skincare line, Osea is where it's at. And if you're super interested, which you should be after this little testimonial of mine, you can click the link in the show notes or description and use the code HOWTOVEGAN at checkout for $10 off your first purchase of $50. So click on that link. It'll take you to their website and you can fill out this little like skin quiz and it'll kind of tell you what products they think would be good for the type of skin you have. That's what I did. The three that I got are amazing. So go check that out. Use the code HOWTOVEGAN and you'll get $10 off your first purchase of $50, which is a hella good deal. 
Okay, now back to some heavier shit. Let's let's get back to talking about honey, which that skincare does not have honey in. That's That's been a problem for me. Some of the nicer brands of skincare have honey in them, and I don't want that personally. So let's keep talking about honey. So environmental effects. The environment right now is a huge topic. We need to do something about everything that's going on. And so I wanted to have like an, a, a, its own separate section talking about the environmental effects and, and what's going on with these bees. Because I hear so many different conflicting opinions and facts on this. And I just want to kind of share what I, what I learned about it. So like I mentioned earlier, the number of native bumblebees have declined because they're just overwhelmed by the ever-growing quantities of mass-bred European honeybees. And FYI, honeybees aren't even the best pollinators. Other types of bees and other insects really do a much better job. And it's hella sad, but bee populations have been decreasing steadily across the globe over recent years, with a ginormous 44% loss between 2015 and 2016 in the United States alone. 44% loss in a year. Ugh. Researchers are calling the mass disappearance colony collapse disorder, and I had definitely heard that before, but I wasn't sure about the details of it. And the number of hives in the United States is now at its lowest point in the past 50 years. Why? Well, first, chemical sprays and pesticides have been found to be partially responsible for the death of bees. Secondly, due to modern-day agricultural practices, valuable land and wildlife habitats are becoming less and less available. And thirdly, because of disease and viruses, which are easily spread when bees are transported internationally and across the U.S. Another environmental factor to consider is that most countries import honey, which also increases our carbon footprint through the emissions associated with transport. Of all the honey consumed in the UK, around 90% of it is imported, and it's from all over the world, like China, Argentina, Mexico. Transporting managed colonies back and forth across the United States also has a negative impact on our environment. And yes, I do realize that so does, you know, eating tropical fruits, getting them shipped in the winter to your, you know, local winter area is not ideal either. But just talking about environmental effects of honey that needed to be included, you know, again, because this stuff is not necessary for humans to consume and we're importing it all over the world, which is just causing lots of carbon emissions and we're increasing our carbon footprint. But as Dr. Clapper says, who you might have heard of, I definitely know his name. He's an advocate of the vegan diet. We need all of the bees we can get. So if beekeepers are creating more bees, then that ultimately could be a good thing for our environment. Although you might see why lots of others disagree here. It's just, it's just such a convoluted issue, you guys, just like the impossible patty issue. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you should go listen to it. It's called, Is the Impossible Burger Vegan? Just like that, the things are not always black and white. There's a lot of gray area here. What we should be doing is focusing on reducing the amount of monoculture crops, which for those of you who don't know, is the agricultural practice of producing or growing a single crop, plant, or livestock species, variety, or breed in a field or farming system at a time which uses a lot of chemicals and are just not natural in any sort of way. Bees would do so much better with multiple crops in one area. So with the soil, monoculture crops are just not ideal. So why do we even need bees anyway? Why are they important for our environment? Well, bees are largely responsible for regulating our food supply by way of pollinating our crops. In fact, just 2% of bees have been found to be responsible for pollinating 80% of our crops globally. If that tiny 2% is lost, 80% of our food from crop cultivation will also disappear. That is not good. We don't need food to disappear. We need food. 
And I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I've seen this picture of side-by-side kind of like produce sections in the same grocery store. And one of them says with bees and the other one says without bees. The first one has, you know, everything you'd see at your normal grocery store full of everything. The next one, it's like two things there and no other food. Like bees are essential to us eating. It's bottom line. We need bees. So although we need bees, it's really up for debate on how environmentally friendly the factory farming of these little creatures really is. Another question that I get all the time is, well, isn't honey healthy for humans? Like, shouldn't we be eating this because of the health benefits? Well, to give you an idea on how healthy it is, honey as a food falls into the use sparingly category of the food pyramid, It's essentially just sugar with no complex carbohydrates or amino acids and virtually no nutritional value to humans. This is especially problematic for people with diabetes or insulin resistance, and all bee products contain sugar, animal protein, and fat, none of which are like super great for the human body, although it's in smaller doses, but it's not ideal. Honey does contain small amounts of vitamins and minerals, but unfortunately, when they heat it and filter it, a lot of that can be destroyed. And you can also get these vitamins and minerals elsewhere, typically, and probably in much larger quantities as well. Even if honey were the healthiest food on the planet, there is still no reason for a vegan to consume it. And we'll talk about some alternatives a little bit later. Bottom line, honey is a perfect food for bees. Okay, so what about free range, local, and ethical honey? Well, it would take a great deal of work to obtain real, truly free-range local and organic honey. You literally have to like walk into the woods, find a hive made by native bees, which really wouldn't be easy because native bee colonies are hella scarce and pretty hard to find. And then attempting to take the honey from the hive would most likely destroy it because hives are delicate and intricate and are just not sized for human hands. And you'd probably get stung because bees don't just willingly give up the food that they work so hard for and need to survive. As far as cultivating honey on your own or getting honey from someone who ethically produces their honey, which means no smoke, tending to their needs, no intentional killing of the bees, leaving enough honey for the bees to eat throughout the winter, that decision needs to be made by you. And from what I've researched, ethical beekeeping like sounds like it's definitely a thing, although like I haven't personally seen it with my own two eyes. But if no suffering occurs in the production of it, then there really isn't an issue as far as ethical veganism is concerned. So if I or you wanted to consume honey, then it would be best to go meet the beekeeper, check out their hives, make sure that they're taking care of these little beings. And if I couldn't do that, then I probably wouldn't support it. But I've definitely heard of vegans who consume honey because they treat them like, you know, they're animal companions. They treat them like they're, I don't like using the word pets, but that's, you know, they say that they treat them like that. They would never harm them. They love them. They make sure they have all the food they need, which is the honey, not sugar water. So if you're feeling after all of this, like you still want to consume honey or feels right for you and you're concerned about the ethical implications, then go talk to a beekeeper, go out to the farm and see what they do to harvest the honey. That would be my suggestion. Well, what about beeswax, royal jelly and bee pollen? Let's start with beeswax. So beeswax is found in cosmetics and candles, among lots of other things. It's obtained by melting a honeycomb with boiling water and then straining it and cooling it. These honeycomb cells are used both as a storage facility for the honey made by the bees and as a protective casing for these baby bees as they go through the early stages of their life. They stay in like the little beeswax honeycomb. And beeswax is made by the busy young bees of the hive while they're roughly between 12 and 17 days old. Beekeepers will harvest the beeswax during the honey collection process. And because all of the honey is just trapped in there by the wax, the beekeeper needs to open each cell 
each beeswax cell before they can add the hive's frames to a honey extractor for processing, for getting the honey out. And the most common way to decap a frame is to just take a burning hot knife and run it along the face of the honeycomb. Usually happens when bees are still on the face of the honeycomb. And if they're not there, then they've probably been smoked out of there because they're not going to leave that honey. That's, that's what they're there for. And yeah, bees are often hurt or even killed during this process. Again, I watched videos of this when I was doing research for the pot for this episode. And oh, it's super sad to watch this like hot knife be run along this thing that they've worked so hard for. And a lot of the bees end up dead. And it's a really big bummer. So instead of beeswax, there are options. You can use soy or candelilla wax and just turn over your cosmetics and make sure that there's no beeswax in it. Your chapstick, that a lot of times will have beeswax in it. So if you're wanting to avoid it, look at the label. There's apps out there that you can get that you can scan. I think one's called Vegan Scanner and you can scan it and it'll tell you if it's vegan or not. But just by flipping it over and kind of checking is, is one kind of easy way to make sure that something doesn't have beeswax in it. And a lot of times a company will put an actual like cruelty-free and vegan label on the product. It's happening more and more and more as they're realizing that if people see that, they'll buy their product. So keep an eye out for that stuff. Use that vegan scanner if you're wanting to avoid beeswax, but there's other options. It's, it's not something that we need. Okay, what about royal jelly? I legit had no idea what this was before I did this, this episode. I had heard the term royal jelly. I had no idea. I thought it was like lube. I literally had no idea. <laughs> so royal jelly is a gelatinous substance produced by honeybees to feed the queen bees and their young. It's frequently sold as a dietary supplement to treat a variety of physical ailments and chronic disease, but extracting this royal jelly can be really stressful on the bees. It's, it's made for the queen bees, it's made for their young, and it's, it's, not, it's really stressful on the bees to take it from them. So is it worth it? You know, it's often sold for these physical ailments and chronic diseases, and, you know, a lot of people are like, royal jelly is this amazing thing. Well, both the European Food Safety Authority and the United States Food and Drug Administration, aka the FDA, have concluded that the current evidence does not support the claim of health benefits of royal jelly, and they've actually actively discouraged the sale and consumption of the jelly. So there really isn't any reason to support this cruel practice. Okay, so what about bee pollen? This was something I was super curious about too. What, what about bee pollen? Well, what is bee pollen? It's a ball of pollen made by young bees when they land on a flower. It's a mixture of flower pollen, nectar, enzymes from their stomach, honey, and wax, and bee secretions. It's kind of a combination of all of these things. And they carry these little bee pollen balls back to the hive in sacks on their legs. They kind of look like saddlebags on the back of their legs. It's kind of adorable. And then they store them in the hive's honeycomb, and the pollen then ferments into bee bread, which feeds a bee colony another type of food for these bees. So how do beekeepers collect this bee pollen from the bees? Well, they usually keep like a thick comb in the entrance of their hives. And when bees pass through it, it knocks the pollen off of their legs into a collection bin below. And then the bees who work so hard have to go out and collect even more pollen to turn into this bee bread for part of the food for their hive. So the answer to whether bee pollen is vegan or not is somewhat of a personal choice. Some vegans consider pollen to fall under the same umbrella as other bee products, while others consider bee pollen to be totally okay to consume. It really is up to the individual to determine whether bee pollen, as well as beeswax and royal jelly and honey, might be an ethical and healthy part of their diet. Just an FYI, because I wanted to add this in here, bee pollen is not considered safe for pregnant or breastfeeding women, which I had no idea of. So if you're pregnant or breastfeeding or plan to be soon, keep that in mind. Even if you're thinking, well, bee pollen sounds okay, don't consume it if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. And another FYI, bee pollen can also cause a serious allergic reaction in some humans who ingest it. Bottom line, all of these things 
beeswax, bee pollen, royal jelly. They all serve a vital purpose within the hives of bees. Same with honey. So it really is up to you to decide what feels best for you. So should I be avoiding avocados and almonds since they're pollinated by factory farmed bees? Well, this has actually been a point of pretty big controversy in the vegan and non-vegan communities. So let's get into it. Well, bees are accidental pollinators, although it would be nice to think that they were pollinating these plants for us, but that's that's just not the case. When bees move around, they gather pollen on their hairy little bodies, which is then rubbed off on other flowers when they land on them. And this eventually becomes the pistil part of the plant, which is responsible for seed production. But again, this is just entirely by accident. The only thing they care about is collecting pollen and nectar to eventually become food for their young and themselves. So since pollination happens as a result of the natural behavior of bees, the simple answer to this question is no. There are no ethical implications for eating food pollinated by bees, which seems like a simple answer on paper, but again, it's not so simple. Avocados and almonds are two of the biggest monoculture crops, requiring billions of billions of honeybees to make sure they're pollinated, thereby producing the end product, the almonds and avocados, for us humans to eat. In reality, today's industrial pollinators spend much of their lives in the back of 18-wheelers, living on high fructose corn syrup or sugar water, while being shipped back and forth across the country to pollinate thousands of acres of monoculture crops. And this this raises ethical questions for vegans as well as non-vegans to consider. All animals rely on plants for survival. Bottom line, all animals, including humans, we rely on plants for survival. And our food supply is dependent upon the pollination of our crops. If the crops don't get pollinated, we don't get food. But avocados and almonds aren't the only crops that are pollinated in this manner. So many other fruits and vegetables that are often produced through migratory pollination include apples, plums, cherries, alfalfa, blueberries, cantaloupe, watermelons, pumpkin, cucumbers, squash, lettuces, tangerines, I could keep going. So not every item in these categories is produced in this manner, but unless a vegan were to know the practices of the farm of origin, they would have no way of knowing whether bees were exploited or not. And we also need to address the acres and acres of super harmful monoculture crops by moving towards a plant-based diet. This would eliminate the need to grow millions of pounds of corn and soy, taking up so much of our planet. So much of our planet is dedicated to feeding animals that are in factory farms, which once we, you know, eliminate that, we would allow farmers to grow more diverse crops, which keystone pollinators could then pollinate. Obviously, this is a huge task. It's not going to happen overnight. But it does seem like like eliminating honey and bee products from the equation could be one of the first crucial steps so that we're not supporting this monoculture culture. I don't know, monoculture practices. <laughs> and just remember, veganism is about doing the best to reduce any amount of unnecessary suffering to animals. It's, it's not about perfection. So some people may choose to avoid Californian avocados and almonds because, again, they're not necessary to our diets. So some people, and if that's you, that's great, you know, I'm. that's great. If you choose to avoid those, that's your choice. But others may find their own personal ethical balance at a different point. And in my opinion, again, that's okay. Accepting and embracing all of these variations and different perspectives, I think, may actually provide room for more people to adopt a vegan lifestyle and stick with it. Bottom line, it's just really up to the individual. Again, if you want to stop supporting these monoculture crops of avocados and and almonds so that the bee population isn't grown at such a rate that it is, props to you. 
but there's a lot of other crops that are pollinated this way. So this is something that I wanted to talk a lot more about, but this is a long podcast in the first place. So if you're interested, do some more research on that and you can kind of form your own opinion a little bit better um, than some of this information that I've provided, which I tried to kind of cover the main points. But if this is something you're fascinated about, go do some more research. Like I always say, do your own research. You don't need to listen to everything I'm saying. I think it's always best to do your own research. But hopefully this gives you a good jumping off point to kind of know what you want to look more into. So now that we know all of this, what can we actually do to help to make a difference? Well, to increase healthy native bee populations, which is what we want. We want to increase these healthy native bee populations, not these factory farmed European honeybee populations. That's not what we're wanting. Some things you can do is plant bee-friendly flowers in your gardens or outdoor spaces. And some examples of these include foxgloves, lavender, catnip, chives, echinacea, and thyme. So you can look up, you know, what grows well in your area and find out what plants native honeybees like in your area and plant some of those in your outdoor spaces or gardens if you have one. You can refrain from using chemicals in your garden if you do have a garden. Try to buy organic produce whenever you can. Remember, pesticides are extremely harmful to bee populations, so buying organic produce if it's available to you, if you can do that, then try to do that whenever you can. If you see like a tired bee stranded on the pavement, take them inside, give them some sugar solution for a little quick burst of energy. Remember, it's not going to be the food they're living off of forever, but if they're seeming tired and lethargic, you can make like a sugar water solution and give it to them and they might get enough energy to get up and fly away to where they should be. And save bees from pools or large puddles of water. If you see them struggling and drowning, you can kind of just scoop them out and try to save their lives. And lastly, you can build a bee hotel, also known as a bee house. And this is something I really want to do. And building this bee hotel is pretty simple to do. And it provides an extra space for them when naturally occurring homes are less available. And I did some research on YouTube on how to make these. So I'll leave a link for a video that I found on how to build a bee hotel because they're actually really adorable. I, like I said, I really want to do this. It sounds like a good idea. And if you've decided after hearing all of this that you really don't want to support the honey industry, then there are alternatives. There are definitely vegan alternatives to honey. Unlike bees, humans definitely do not need honey in their diets. But luckily, there are lots of alternatives to honey. So there's some homemade options and some store-bought options. Some of the homemade options include date syrup, maple syrup, brown rice syrup, coconut nectar, molasses, butterscotch syrup, golden syrup, and agave nectar. So many options for you to choose from. And I'll leave some recipes in the show notes or the description. Uh, kind of depends on where you're listening. So when I use those terms, they're kind of interchangeable. But I'll leave some links to a date syrup recipe, a dandelion honey recipe, and a vegan honey apple syrup recipe. The dandelion honey and the vegan honey apple syrup are supposed to taste really similar to honey. The date syrup doesn't taste so much like honey, but it's a delicious, healthy alternative that I really love. I love date syrup. So I'll leave recipes for those in the show notes for you. I'll leave links to the recipes. And then one of the store-bought options that I found that I think is kind of the most popular is this product called Bee Free Honey, and it's honey, H-O-N-E-E, -E, not E-Y. And I'll leave a link to that too if you want to go ahead and snag that and try that for yourself. I've never tried it personally because I just, I don't miss honey at all. So, but if you do and you're just starting out on your vegan journey or if you miss honey, like I said, then that's an option for you. Okay, so now that I've covered everything about honey that I could really think of to cover, and if you have any questions about any of this, please let me know. But now that we've covered all of that, I just, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I want to let you all know what my opinion is because I know you guys care. If I don't include my opinion, you're going to ask anyway. So my opinion about the honey situation, what's the deal with honey in my opinion? 
Well, for me, veganism is really about reducing suffering. Like I'm vegan for the animals through and through. The environmental benefits and the health benefits are really just a plus for me. The, the It's all about the animals for me. And it's just about reducing suffering to these innocent beings. And although we may not know for sure if bees feel pain, I think it's the most moral option to treat them like they do. There really isn't the need to support the exploitation of bees and the honey industry as they can easily be replaced by a plant-based vegan alternative, just like using oat milk instead of dairy milk. And since we don't need honey to survive, I feel like there's just no need to purchase or consume honey and support these practices. But focusing on honey and being super strict about it can definitely turn off new vegans and make us seem hella extreme and dogmatic and cultish. But like I said, my goal is to reduce suffering, and that means getting as many people to understand what veganism is and hopefully get more people to reduce the amount of animal products they're using and consuming. So I've decided to avoid honey and other bee products, but as a new vegan, if that doesn't feel good to you, then don't turn away completely from going vegan. Like, don't be like, oh, well, I can't have honey. No, I just won't do any vegan stuff then. That's that's not the point of this. Do what feels good for you. So if eliminating everything but honey feels good for you, that's better for me because you're harming less animals than just being like, veganism is too hard. I'll just do paleo and eat a bunch of dead animals and their secretions. So you have to do what feels good for you, especially as a new vegan kind of navigating all of this. And if you're already vegan, something that I'd like to say is I really hope that you're not shaming people into being vegan in any sort of way because shaming people just isn't a productive way to get people to stop harming animals. It really isn't a productive way to do anything. Shaming people is just not cool, at least in my book. And it just, it pushes people away from veganism, which is not the goal of veganism. We want as many people on our side. We want as many people not harming animals as possible. And the all or nothing approach can can seriously draw people away from the vegan lifestyle. I've seen it with my own two eyes. They're like, this is too much, peace and out, eating a steak for dinner. And that, that approach can just seem like too much for some people. And like I've said, there just is no such thing as 100% vegan. Lots of everyday products that we use contain animal products like car and bike tires, some glues, plastic bags, fireworks, biofuels, just to name a few. This is just one of those situations where there really is no perfect or right answer. There's a lot of gray area here. So if you want to eat honey, go ahead, but please consider where it's coming from. Buy locally, buy from someone you know who treats their bees ethically, go check out their farm so you can see that they're telling the truth. And as a vegan, it's good to realize that you're always going to be contributing to some amount of harm in some way, but you're doing a shit ton better than you would be otherwise. Remember, veganism is not about being perfect. It's about reducing suffering as much as possible and feasible. The goal is to eat more plants and less animals. So do whatever you need to do to make that happen. It's all about educating yourself and making informed decisions that feel right for you. You do you. Okay, so that's it. That's it for this episode. I really hope that you liked this. This is definitely one of the longer episodes I've done, but there was so much to cover. And I feel like if I didn't cover all of it, y'all were gonna bombard me with questions, which is totally fine. I like answering your questions, but I just wanted to be you know, I really wanted to cover this and all the aspects of it. So I hope I did a good job. This episode actually took me a month to put together. It was supposed to be the last episode. And I was like, man, I just, this is so much to research, so much to put together and just so much. I just wanted, I just want to do a good job. So you guys just have some really in-depth knowledge about honey and everything that kind of goes along with it. So I really hope you liked this episode. I did want to remind you guys real quick to go check out that Osea website, take that little skincare quiz 
and snag up some of their products if you're interested. And remember to use the code HOWTOVEGAN, same name as this podcast, all one word, and you'll get $10 off your first purchase of 50 bucks. Again, the code is HOWTOVEGAN for 10 bucks off your first purchase of $50. There'll be a link in the show notes. Just click on that and you can head right there and check out some of the products because again, they're, man, they're amazing. Whatever the seaweed stuff does to my face and to everyone else that I know that uses this, one of my best friends uses this too and they're like, this is magic. It really feels like magic. I, I don't know why I struggled for so many years with these blemishes and breakouts on my chin when like now I feel like I didn't need to. So vegan, cruelty-free, they're an amazing company. Go check them out. Use the code vegan, and you'll be ready to have clear, glowing skin. So after you go check out Osea's website, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. It's a perfect place to ask questions about any of these episodes. It's just How To Vegan Podcast. Search that on YouTube, hit subscribe, and all the episodes are available there. So if you're a YouTube listener and you don't want to listen on these podcast platforms, you can definitely listen there. Again, go follow How To Vegan Podcast on Instagram. Leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is so helpful, you guys. Like, oh, when you search in Apple Podcasts for vegan podcasts, this podcast does not come up at all. Like, you have to know the name of the podcast to find it. And in order to get the podcast to kind of show up a little bit more, more downloads, more ratings, more reviews, all of that stuff will help so that more people can see the podcast on Apple Podcasts. I think people are finding it on Spotify, but having trouble listening to it or finding it on Apple Podcasts easily. So if you're listening there, just take the time, please, to leave a rating, leave a review. I really appreciate it if you do. If you have any ideas for an episode, come find me, send me a DM, leave me a comment. I'll add it to my list of podcast episodes to do. You guys have the best ideas. So, and feel free to send me a DM with any questions you might have. I love sending little like voice message responses. That's what I've been doing lately. And it's just a lot more personal and I can give you guys a lot more information that way. So if you're struggling with anything, if you have a specific question for me, whether it's about honey or anything else related to veganism, send me a DM. I'll hit you back. And again, all of the links are in the show notes or the description for this episode, or just head over to kristenpound.com, click on the podcast tab or kristenpound.com forward slash podcast. You'll find links for everything that I talked about today. It's just a good jumping off point to kind of see what I talked about. And if if you're interested in learning more, there'll be links for all of that there. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. This was this was a crazy one to put together, but I'm so happy that I did it. I've been meaning to do this episode since I started this podcast. So it feels good to finally get it out there for you guys. So I really hope that you liked it. And thanks again just for tuning in. Y'all are awesome. I can't wait to chat with you again in the next episode of the How to Vegan podcast. Peace.